We're coming to the Psalms in Psalm 40, please. Psalm 40. Let's read the Psalm together. I'm sure it's a very familiar Psalm to many. Psalm 40. And verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the merry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. And respecteth not the proud, such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to us ward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering, and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about, many iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed that confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame uh, that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me, Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. We trust the Lord to bless the public reading of his truth. There's no disputing the author, the human author of this psalm. David's name is indeed above it. But it's more difficult if you were to try to fit it into David's life. We, We are able, on many occasions as we read the psalms, we're able to uh, indeed see that this psalm relates to particular circumstances in David's life and a particular time in David's life. It's more difficult with this particular psalm. Some have suggested that the mention of flocks that are mentioned here and sacrifices mentioned here, uh, that this may, this may be uh, the sacrifice and offering in verse 6, sorry, uh, it may refer to the time whenever Saul offered uh, the best of the, um, uh, the Amalekites' flocks. He kept them for sacrifice, he said, but of course Samuel had to tell him to obey is better than to sacrifice. Perhaps David may have been alluding to that. We don't know for sure. 
Also, there was a time of rebellion when Absalom rebelled and he offered sacrifices. And of course, these were uh, offered uh, at a time of that rebellion. He may have been thinking about that, but we, we don't know for sure. We can't be sure. But there's no doubt the Holy Spirit takes uh, these verses, even verse 6 here, and the sacrifice and offering, and uses them in Hebrews 10, uh, setting forth how Christ has done away with the old sacrificial system in that once and for all sacrifice. I want you to notice, very simply, first of all, the psalmist waiting for the Lord. The psalm begins, I waited patiently for the Lord. How difficult it is for us to wait. We find it hard. Especially if we're waiting a long time, because the psalmist waited patiently. Some would tell us that from the original, it it would indicate he waited and waited and waited. It's difficult, especially if things seem to be getting worse. If the situation seems to be getting darker and there seems no light at the end of the tunnel, it can be difficult for us to wait upon God. But how vitally important it is that we follow the example of the psalmist and we learn to hold on and to continue to wait patiently upon the Lord. You've been praying and you've been holding on. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep holding on. It's no vain thing to wait upon the Lord. Jacob, I made mention of him in a message I was preaching last week, but let me make mention of him again. It suits this particular psalm as well as what I was mentioning last time. Because Jacob was in a situation where there was famine in the land in the book of Genesis, and and his sons had been sent down to Egypt to find food, provisions to get them through the famine. And, of course, the lord of the land was Joseph, and they didn't recognize him. And he dealt with them roughly and sent them home and kept Simeon and, and told them they would not see his face and receive no further provisions unless they brought their younger brother Benjamin with them. And Jacob at this time was horrified at all this. And Jacob thought everything was against him. And that's what exactly he said. He said, Joseph is not. He thought he was dead. Simeon is not. And you'll take Benjamin away. All these things are against me, he said. But of course, that wasn't the reality. The reality was God was working to preserve Jacob and his family and indeed the Hebrew people through that time of famine. The truth was his beloved Joseph was alive. Was alive. And you see, dear friends, so often at times when we think everything is against us, very often God is at work and we need the faith to hold on. Moses on an occasion When he was sent down to Egypt to be Israel's deliverer from slavery, he didn't think he was the man. Indeed, he told God he didn't think he was the man. He was not the man to go. He was no longer a prince in Egypt. He had no influence in Egypt. He was a shepherd. But of course, the Lord didn't need any of that. It seems the Lord wanted a shepherd. And Moses went and he came to the land and came to the the land of Egypt and And as he came to his people, they rejoiced and they thanked God for this deliverer who had come. And Aaron was with him. But as soon as Moses went in to talk to Pharaoh, to ask him, to tell him that he was to let the Hebrew people go, everything seemed to go wrong. The burdens were increased upon the people. And the people turned on Moses. You're to blame for this. You have caused this. Things are much worse now that you're here. You know, dear friends, Moses despaired at that time. 
Even Moses didn't understand what was happening. And he went to the Lord. And of course, this is always the best option. He went to the Lord and he, and he said, Wherefore hast thou so evilly entreated this people? I've done what you said. I've gone to Pharaoh. And now things are worse. But you see, Moses had to realize that God was working. Yes, it seemed to be getting worse, but God was at work. And God said to him, Now thou shalt see what I shall do. Oh, dear friends, that we might wait upon the Lord and hold on to the Lord, even when things seem to be getting, getting worse. You know, as we think about what we find here, we find that not only the psalmist is waiting upon the Lord here, but he inclined unto me and heard my cry, he says. There's no vain thing to wait upon the Lord, we often say. Oh, that we might... Hold on. We read in another Psalm 116, the psalmist says, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. You know, that's a wonderful way to begin a psalm, isn't it? That's a wonderful way to begin anything. I've often said to young folk over the years, if they're moving from school to a different school, and they're believers, or they're going to university, or they're going to a new job, it's a wonderful way to begin by telling the folk that you love the Lord. Lay it out at the beginning. It'll save you a lot of trouble. When you tell them where you stand, that you belong to Jesus Christ and that you love the Lord. I love the Lord, he says, because he hath heard my voice and my supplication, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore shall I call upon him as long as I live, he says. He says, he heard me, my voice and my supplication, and he's inclined his ear unto me. And he's speaking similarly here to this Psalm, Psalm 40. The Lord hears and the Lord heeds and the Lord inclines and he inclines. You know, that word incline would indicate to us, you could illustrate it by, by speaking of a parent. And a child comes into the house and the child's crying. And the parent, mum or dad, go and, and they say, what's wrong? And they can't make out what the child's saying. And, and the child's still crying and they bend down. They bend down to the child to get close. And they comfort the child and they say, now, tell us what's wrong. You see, that's the idea of inclining isn't it wonderful to think that the Lord inclines his ear onto us? That he might hear what we have to say. Also, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit. The psalmist was wonderfully delivered. Now, we cannot imagine what his circumstances were. But we certainly can see the picture the Word of God paints for us of our own salvation we can certainly see it here. It certainly reminds us the psalmist was lifted out of some horrible situation he describes as a horrible pit and how it would remind us that we have been lifted from the slippery slope that leads to hell. Friend this morning, child of God this morning, rejoice that you've been lifted. You've been lifted. What a wonderful thing it is to realize as the old hymn says, I was sinking deep in sin, sinking to rise no more. Overwhelmed by guilt within, mercy I did implore. Then the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. Christ my Savior lifted me, now safe am I. Oh, dear friends, we have been lifted, delivered, established, set upon a rock. That's what it says, isn't it? My feet upon a rock and established my goings. And so it is with salvation. You can't fall out of it and lose it. Yes, you can stumble. We just glance back to Psalm 37. 
Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. But listen to this. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. And that's the lot of the child of God. You're in the hand of God. The Lord upholds you in his hand. You're secure this morning in Christ. You're on that rock this morning. That solid foundation, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing it is to be saved and to be so sure and secure in Christ. We shall not be utterly cast down. Yes, we can stumble. Yes, we can make a mess of things. But you know, the Lord holds on to us. Even though we might let go, I want to tell you, the Lord holds on to us. He upholdeth us with his hand. The psalmist was delivered from a horrible pit. Some of these pits in Scripture and in ancient times were just big holes in the ground. Terrible holes in the ground that went way, way down that were impossible to get climb out of. And they were lowered down. Prisoners were often put in these and, and lowered down into them. And, and this was the only light was that was coming through the top. And, and you can imagine what a desperate situation that would be to be left in such a hole in the ground, a pit, a horrible pit. Isaiah 38 speaks of the pit of corruption. Indeed, in the Hebrew, it's pit of noise. An oh, dear friend, that we might think even for a moment and reflect upon the pit of hell that we have been delivered from. Can you imagine the cries that there are in that terrible place that the Bible speaks of? We see the psalmist waiting upon the Lord, or waiting for the Lord. And then we see the psalmist singing unto the Lord. Because in verse 3 it says, He hath put a new song in my mouth. Singing is the music of nature. Do you realize that? Singing is the music of nature. You get it if you were to turn to Psalm 65, verse 13. The valleys sing, the Scripture tells us. In First Chronicles 16, 33, it says, The trees of the woods sing at the presence of the Lord. But just turn over a few pages there to Isaiah 55. If you turn on a little bit to Isaiah 55, we read there. And this is a, a few verses or a, 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 a chapter that spoke very much to my wife and myself when we felt the, the Lord's call upon our lives and uh, this, I recall, in those early days, spoke to both of us. And in, in Isaiah 55, in verse, verse 12, it says, For ye shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. There you have it. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And I remember reading that. Whenever we were only saved a few years, and we read that, we thought that was lovely. Imagine the trees of the field clapping their hands, and we read of the mountains and the hills breaking forth into singing. You see, singing is the music of nature, and singing is the music of the saints. Psalm 149, Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of the saints. It has been the delight of the saints all over the centuries. In times of plenty and in times of difficulty and in times of great deliverances, it has been their duty and delight to sing unto the Lord. Now notice this. It's a new song. It's a new song. Now that's important. What might that convey to us? 
Well, it would convey to us that we who are believers are new creatures in Christ. And this is our new song. It's a new song. It's the song of the redeemed. Someone has said that uh, old men can't sing it, and that's not speaking of age. That's speaking of the fact that they've never been born again. Only the born again can truly sing this song. It's the song of the believer, the saint of God. But not only that, it's a new song. And what, what would that indicate to me? That would indicate to me freshness. It's new. It should be fresh. Dear friends, oh, that we're not offering to God old stale praise. Every time we come together, surely we should concentrate our minds that we come afresh and that our praise and our song is fresh. Just this week, I thought to myself, it's a little bit early, but I thought I'll go out. There's some spuds growing, growing them in the back garden, and I thought to myself, I'll go out and dig a few. It's a bit early. You usually leave them a few weeks yet, but they're always nice sometimes when you get them early. And I lifted a few potatoes and put them in a, rinsed them, put them in a pot and boiled them. And you know, friends, there's nothing to compare with something that's fresh and straight into the pot and then straight onto the plate. Lovely. How much better? Very same idea. You could think of pancakes. You can buy nice pancakes and bring them home. And sometimes they're, they're not always as fresh as they should be. Well, what about a pancake just off the pan? It's fresh. There's nothing as tasty as that. Oh, that our praise may be new, that it might be fresh. That our singing might be unto him. Psalm 33 tells us, sing unto him a new song. Our singing at times can be just going through the motions. Our singing at times, and we're all guilty of this, can be thoughtless. But oh, that our singing might be unto him that it might be unto him. That's the important thing. This requires concentration. This requires us to focus our minds, to think about what we're singing. That's important. The preacher, as he prepares his message and meditates upon it, must seek the Holy Spirit for that freshness. It's only the Holy Spirit gives that freshness uh, to any message from the Word of God. And so it is, should be with our praise and our singing. It should be new. It should be fresh. How vital it is. That Psalm 33 also speaks of it being loud. A loud noise. A loud noise. Sometimes we hold back, don't we? And I have to confess at times when I go to preach, if I'm preaching in the morning and preaching in the evening, I can't let loose too much because I might have no voice by the time uh, when it comes to preaching. But you know, many of you have no excuse. We should let loose. There should be a loud noise unto the Lord. A loud noise unto the Lord. How important it is. Spurgeon said in his day that well-bred whispers are disreputable. That's what Spurgeon said. In other words, of bad repute. And oh, that our singing, dear friends, is not well-bred whispers, but it's from the heart. You see, that's the difference. This is something you cannot manufacture. This is something that you cannot work up, uh, you know, on the surface. It's only an imitation. Some people try to create an atmosphere. Uh, But dear friends, this comes from the heart of the believer. That's what makes the difference. When it's from the heart and it's unto the Lord, that's what will make the difference. And as we read this psalm, we discover that it speaks 
it speaks because it tells us here, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. It speaks to others. You see, over in the New Testament, we read about our singing. And we read in Ephesians and chapter 5, Ephesians in chapter 5, and and in verse 19, let me just read it to you. Ephesians 5 and 19. It says there, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You see? It's from the heart. And if you come over to Galatians just a little bit further, or just listen carefully, I'll read it to you again. Over in Galatians and chapter 3 and 16, we read something similar, but it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And we get the emphasis of the heart again, but we get the emphasis that we must be singing that which is sound and biblical, the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And dear friends, this is vitally important, that we're singing that which is based upon the word of God, that we're singing that which is sound, because sadly, over recent decades, there's a lot has come in from the charismatic movements, lots of songs that have come in that are not solidly based upon the Word of God. In some places, they're singing them, not realizing that what they're singing is not exactly sound. And that's very sad. All that are singing might be based upon the Word of God. There's a kingdom theology you get among the charismatics, and the, some of them have been prolific chorus and, and hymn writers. And these, this kingdom theology is a kind of post-millennialism. And they believe that the church by its success will usher in the king. And you get that often in their choruses and so on. And so you need to be careful, dear friends, that you're, what you're singing is based upon God's word. The psalmist was waiting for the Lord, and the psalmist was singing unto the Lord, but the psalmist was winning others to the Lord. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Now, there's no doubt a great deliverance can speak when someone is wonderfully delivered from sin, saved by the grace of God, it speaks. But you know, our singing, our song also speaks. That's what I believe has been set forth here. The song that we have, many shall hear it and shall fear and shall trust the Lord, it says. Now, we read of individuals in Scripture who heard the Word of God, and they, and they heard of great deliverances, and, and they feared, but they didn't trust. Felix trembled when Paul shared with him a, a more perfect knowledge of the way, and he reasoned with, about righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, and Felix trembled, but he feared, but he didn't trust. We have others we could think of in Scripture, the very same. They seemed to fear. The people of Gadara feared when they saw the, the man or the men that were delivered the, uh, and, uh, from demons, but they didn't trust. They told the Lord to go. Belshazzar, in the book of Daniel, he feared. We read that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against the other when that hand appeared on the wall. But it was too late. He feared, but it was too late. Oh, friend, are you not saved this morning? Oh, don't be 
in fear and trembling when it's too late to be saved when you've missed your opportunity. Oh, that you might come when there is yet time to be saved. However, there was one in the New Testament in the book of Acts, the Philippian jailer. After the earthquake, he sprung in. The scripture tells us he trembled, but he trusted as well. Oh, friend, that you might not only tremble, but that you might trust. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Dear friends, our singing, when it's from the heart, speaks. I had the opportunity many years ago to go to America. It's the only time I ever went. And I, my wife and I and, and quite a number of other pastors and, and friends, we went and, and to a conference in Jacksonville, a fundamental conference. And David Gibb was speaking. David Gibb was a lawyer who spent his time defending churches. And of course, that sort of thing is even worse today against all kinds of things that are, that are going on. And that's the reality of the situation we face today, even in this land. Uh, churches will find themselves in difficulty if the Lord doesn't come soon for his own. But you know, David Gibb was a great, a wonderful preacher to listen to. And he, he told this story, and it stuck in my mind in relation to this psalm. He told of how that he had endeavored to bring a friend to meetings for a while, and he couldn't get him to come. And then all of a sudden, this opportunity arose, and his friend agreed he would go to the meeting. And David, David Gibb took him to the meeting and sat him down at the meeting. And as the singing began, there was a big man just sitting on the other side of his friend. And he was singing so loud that it disturbed David. And he thought to himself, oh, no, I hope this is not going to spoil the meeting for this man. I don't know what he'd think of this. His singing was so loud. And... He was thinking to himself, you know, I had such an effort to get him to come along, and now he's here, and, and now I wonder, is this man, is he going to spoil it? After the meeting, his friend got saved. And afterwards, he spoke to him, and he says, what has it spoke to you? He said, when that big man began to sing beside me, I just wanted what he had. I just wanted what he had. And you know, dear friends, there's no doubt when that song is from the heart, whether it's very loud or not, if it's from the heart, it will speak to others. When, when sinners come into the meeting and, the, and they sit down and the singing, and they stand and the singing is from the heart, I believe it will speak, and many shall fear and shall trust in the Lord, the Scripture says. Then we see the psalmist happy in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. What blessings there are to those that trust the Lord. The blessings of forgiveness. Blessed is that man that is forgiven, sins taken away as far as the east is from the west. Blessed is that man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. That blessed is happy, or happy, very happy. Oh, the blessings, the happiness of the believer that individual that has trusted the Lord, a simple, single-eye confidence in God is the mark of great blessedness. I read this some time ago. I don't know where I read it, but I wrote it down, and someone said this, A man may be as poor as Lazarus at the rich man's gate. He may be as hated as Mordecai, that godly Jew in the book of Esther. He may be as sick as Hezekiah. 
He may be as lonely as Elijah in that time when he despaired, but nothing can remove his blessedness if he's trusted in the Lord. What about those who haven't trusted in the Lord? Well, he says, no matter what they gain, they're they're accursed. If you do not have the Lord, dear friend, you are accursed. Oh, that you might have trusted in the Lord. And it also says, and respecteth not the proud. We live in an age that is filled with pride. And you know, there are many ways I could I could introduce that this morning, but I don't have to explain to you. But we see pride all around us. And we need to be careful about what we respect. When the Lord Jesus Christ walked in this earth, he did not flatter kings or rulers when he stood before them. John the Baptist also was one who did not give respect to the proud. He told kings the truth. And of course, he lost his head because of it. Nor such as turn aside to lies. The Lord gave no honor to the dishonorable. And friends, we need to be careful. Young people, be careful who you honor. Be careful who you honor when you think of the celebrities of this world and the the pop stars and all this, even the sportsmen at times. Be careful who you honor because you could be honoring the dishonorable. Nor such as turn aside to lies, heresies and Idolatries, these are lies. Worldliness is lies. We must never give time and credence to apostates and false teachers, propagators of modern evils of worldliness and liberalism and ecumenism. Dear friends, let's give it no space. We shouldn't give it any room whatsoever. Because if we do, we lose our blessedness. We lose our blessedness. A second Timothy teaches us, we need to purge ourselves from these, from vessels of earth, wood, In other words, those things that will dishonor. Verse 5 says, speaks of God's wonderful works. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. Where could we begin with God's wonderful works as we think of creation? As we think of redemption. Oh, the wonder of redemption. No more wonderful work can be found than the cross work of our Savior. And how it is impossible to begin to reckon the effects or far-reaching effects of Calvary. One day we will know. One day we will know and will understand fully. But its vastness is something we can hardly comprehend. But notice the words of the psalmist, Many, O Lord, my God. And surely this is a wonderful treasure in itself. We are able, as believers, to say, O Lord, my God. We can say, The Lord is my shepherd. O Lord, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, the psalmist says. We can say the same. We can say, Our Father, which art in heaven. And we can mean it. We read in First John 3, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What wonderful truths we have in that, that verse, or those verses at 1, 1 John 3, 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We don't have to wait for it. There's no delay here. We are the sons of God. We are the children of God. There's no doubt about it either. We're not hoping so. We're not thinking that this is the case. We are the children of God. There's no difference either. Every one of us that have come to Christ are part of the family of God. We're born again. We're washed in the blood. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are sons. We shall see him as he is, that verse says in 1 John 3. We shall see him as he is. When the Lord appears, dear friends, in the air, when he comes to the air for his own, we shall see him as he is, and we're going to be like him. What an amazing thing that is. We shall be like him in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, One look will be enough. There's no purgatory required to fit us for heaven, dear friends, as Rome would teach. No, one look of the believer to the Lord Jesus will complete the work. We're going to be changed into his perfect likeness. It's lovely the way the Holy Spirit inspired John to write this, knowing that we would find this difficult to take in. He mentions the fact that there's a lot we don't know. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. I've been asked questions over the years. I've been asked questions about the eternal state, the perfect state, the degree of memory, the relationship to others. I've been asked these questions, and I've referred them to 1 John 3. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. There's things that we don't know, but there's two things we do know. Christ shall appear, and we shall be like him. We shall be like him. May we thank the Lord indeed that that will be the case. Blessed or happy in the Lord. Finish there. Father, we thank thee for thy word. We bless thee for all that we glean from the scriptures. And we thank thee for the blessedness of the believer. The blessedness of those that trust in the Lord. They shall be like Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even and forevermore. We just give thee thanks. In the Savior's name. Amen.